for many weeks now, we have been uh, working our way through this great letter called Romans uh, in the Bible. And we've called this series Colossal Truth, and we called it this title because the parameters that Paul sets as he starts to write the letter by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans is just that. It's colossal. Uh, He has spanned for 11 chapters. In fact, as I'm talking, if you would like to, you may just sort of thumb your way to Romans 11. That's where we're going to land. I'm not going to say anything about it. But if you highlight in your Bible, chances are there's something highlighted in the first 11 chapters of Romans. He's, He's covered time and history and eschatology and eternity and the salvation of all mankind. He has covered the specifics of how God can legally dismiss the case that is against us. We call that justification. He has covered this theological topic that theologians refer to as sanctification. That is the process by which we grow up in God. And just for good measure, he has thrown in our glorification. Whew. It's a lot. Now what Paul does in this section of Romans that we're at is he stops for a breath. It's like we've been on this rapid, steep hike following Paul as we read and follow along and study. And at times it seems so rocky and so steep. And where does this trail go? It's been a challenge. And he gets to a clearing and it's like Paul sits down and just sort of stops and looks back and and takes in the view of what he's covered so far. And what happens is he breaks out in worship. We've just covered in Romans 9, 10, and 11 some of the most sort of heady, technical, uh, theological entanglements that the Bible has for us to uncover, and in that discovered a mysterious and yet glorious God. And now we just get to this section that feels like just sort of a deep breath and a pause on our study. Paul, steel trap mind, stick to your guns integrity Paul. Left-brained, systematic Paul, spontaneously spouts artistic words. It's a really fascinating thing. Here's what we desire to do. Every single Sunday, whoever's preaching has this task in front of them. We want to let the text that we are in inform the feel and flow of the morning. That's why on any given Sunday, you might come and it feels a little bit lighter. It feels right to a point of need that you have. It comes right to a question that you might have been answering. Other times, it's a bit more solemn and we come in and we're, we're under the weightiness of, of sin or the weightiness of a great God. And so the, the feel of services at this church is different over the course of the year because as we work our way through Scripture, there's rich variety in the Scriptures. So to sort of match the tone and context of the text today, this morning will be light on verbose, idea-rich teaching, and instead will be focused more on sensory, experience-rich tasting. So there's not a lot of notes to take. There's not a ton of auditory skills needed this morning. There's not a lot of just 
Get your brain engaged and let's wade in deep. This morning, I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. We've already done that in some regard by participating in family worship, by sharing some things that we're thankful for. We will employ some other senses as we move through the morning. As I read the text this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to mimic something culturally that we understand why we do it. It's found in a courtroom. I was in a courtroom this past year as a, as a potential jury candidate. And as the judge enters a courtroom, whether you know the judge personally or not, whether you care to do it or not, whether you were paying attention or not, the command is given in the courtroom, all rise. And the entire room stands in honor of the honorable whoever is coming into the room. This morning, what I would like to do is this. I would like you as one people to rise in honor of Scripture and of the one that that I'm about to read about. And as soon as I'm done reading, I am going to let a full minute pass by in silence. I would ask that you remain standing and remain silent, thinking on what you just heard read from the Scripture. So with that, all rise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. This picture was taken a few hours ago. And some of you recognize where this is because you work there. Uh, That's Bass Pro Shops parking lot. And here's what I found astounding. I was sitting at a Starbucks by a window, and I watched the sunrise this morning, just thinking on this text. I had some really powerful music in my ears. And as I watched the sunrise, I thought about this reality, that every week we come and gather as God's people, and we lift our eyes to these really remarkable eternal truths that literally catch your breath sometimes. And if you let your eyes fall just a little bit lower, 
You see some guy out there standing by his car. You see businesses starting to get going. You see sort of the dirty parking lot, like just regular stuff of life. And I thought, what a beautiful sort of juxtaposition this is. And what a picture it is as the people of God gather. It's the mundane stuff of life. It's not like we're here on some other plane and we don't deal with cars that break down on the way to worship. But we're here to lift our eyes. We're here to take our gaze and just set it on these really big truths that have everything to do with the mundane stuff of life. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to give you a condensed sermon, a shorter time. And with this, I'm calling this sensory out of you to listen. I want you to listen to a few words this morning as we sort of look at this text before we move on to some other things. I want to give you four sort of observations um, about this text fitting in the flow of what we've been in in Romans so far. If you want to take notes, take notes. If that's not meaningful to you, there's no fill in the blanks, don't take notes. But the first observation I want to make is this, that there is airtight logic in Paul and beautiful artistic words in Paul. And they both are contained in the same person. And here's what I want to highlight with you. Don't ever think that you are either a logical truth seeker or a feeler poet. There are tendencies in this room that lean left brain, lean right brain, lean toward the objective, lean toward the systematic. You get paid lots of money to be engineers and computer scientists and and all kinds of other things. There are those in this room who lean toward the subjective, who lean toward grappling with mystery and are comfortable with that. You don't get paid as well, you're artists, but you try. Kidding. Here's the point that those people aren't aren't in two separate bodies. The, The reality is this. In Christ, we grow into our full selves. As we grow up in Christ, as we, as we begin to, to, to experience the fullness of Christ that is being formed in us, here's what's really, really powerful. We see that um, objective knowledge and subjective emotion uh, are present. That God isn't simply a topic to be studied, analyzed, categorized, or understood. He is a being to be marveled at. He is a person to draw close to. He is a father to grab the hand of and walk through this life with. Paul is living proof that, proof that we aren't one type or another, but we are more complex than that. In fact, in Christ, the dreamers and the implementers not only commingle, which is what is true of this church. But in Christ, the poet and the practical emerge from the same person. Some of you have unsaved family members, neighbors, and coworkers that can't imagine, can't can't fathom this person that you're becoming in Christ. Because maybe you were at one time stoic and analytical and never let your emotions show. And as you grow up in Christ, with each passing day, doesn't the grace of God become more precious to you? I know it does to me. I thought I valued and understood and thought the grace of God precious in my 20s. I promise you, a couple decades later, it's all the more precious to me. 
Some of you who might be like jellyfish in your minds and in your emotions, and, and you just, God has made you this wonderful, intuitive uh, dreamer, poet, artist. You begin to say, man, I have a hunger to understand the truth of God, to study, to put firm skeletal workings around my understanding of God because he's growing me into his image. And those around you find that astounding because that's not coming from the flesh of who you are. It's coming from a spiritual place. Second thing I want to show you is this, that there is no worship without truth. Paul quotes... The Old Testament in verse 34. Truth matters in worship. For an understanding of this, go read about Jesus and the woman at the well. There he says this. He's talking with this woman. She wants to know the ritual and the form. Which mountain should we worship on and this and that. And it's actually a dodge because he's leading her to himself. And she's wanting to go kind of anywhere but there. And Jesus answers her this. She says, God is spirit. And he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So there's no worship without truth. In fact, objective truth leads to subjective worship. If you want to find the most condensed theological teaching in all of the scriptures, look to the letter of Romans. That's what we're working our way through right now. It's so amazing and so beautiful that at two different times now, he has sort of paused the teaching and just broken out into this doxology to just give praise to God. It's like it just emerges out of him. It's wonderful that the Bible is central in our worship. We get that from letters like this. Here's number two. Not only is there no worship without truth, there is no teaching without worship. We don't just come here week after week to accumulate knowledge, to sort of sort out knowledge, to understand knowledge as we see it, and then to seek to apply knowledge in some effort to benefit ourselves. Let me tell you why we find it so important to open God's word and teach at this church. Because we see that as a gateway to worship. Some of you came to Christ and you needed the airtight logic. You needed the proof that the scriptures were sound before you would give yourself to it. Kudos to you. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. And for some of you, if that's not answered, you can't nor should you fake it. And after that basis of truth, that truth doesn't sit stagnant. It begins to work itself into our lives. And that is a gateway to worship. It's a gateway to see God. And God refuses to be just a distant truth that you can take and analyze and put on your shelf and check off saying, yep, I've got that bit of knowledge now as well. We don't study in a detached, cool manner. Every single week as a part of our community questions, here's what you are being led into. You are being led into this. Here was some truth given in a very clear uh, one-way communication in terms of humanly speaking. One person talking, lots of people listening. Now as a group, let's take this truth and let's sort of knead it into the dough. Let's massage this into our life. And what happens is this. If we allow ourselves to be comforted by the scriptures, we're comforted. 
If we allow ourselves to be awed by God through the scriptures, we're awed. If we allow ourselves to be disturbed by what we read, and as the Bible reads our life and we don't really like what we see, then we are disturbed. If we allowed ourselves to be instruction, instructed, then we're instructed. And we could do another round of testimony saying, how has God shepherded you this week, this month, this year? And what we see is this. The truth is living and active. The truth is profitable. The truth is many-faceted, and it informs our worship. I hope that you come in this church, and the prayer times, and the offering, and communion, and baptism, and the songs we sing, and the sermons that we hear are different over time. Isn't it true that you can sing the same song? Let's take Amazing Grace that maybe you've been singing for years and years and years and years, and it means one thing in this season, and then someone dies in your life. And it means something else that next Sunday. You receive incredible news, and it means something different. You're utterly confused and doubting and struggling, and it means something different. The scriptures are like that. Our worship is like that. There's no teaching without worship. If you're coming here week after week after week, and all you're getting is head knowledge, please come and talk to one of the leaders in this church. We're here to shepherd you out of just head knowledge. We want you to see something more than that. Fourthly, this. Aren't you glad you don't need to understand everything to praise a God who does understand everything? And if Romans hasn't shown you that you're about this small when it comes to knowledge, go back to the beginning. Listen to more podcasts. Better yet, just keep reading Romans. It's standing at the base of Half Dome and watching a granite wall rise in front of you and say, yeah, I'm pretty small. It's powerful to understand that we're able to praise God for everything that he has revealed. And we also praise him for that which he hasn't revealed yet. There's a recentering that comes every Sunday for me. One of my sins is worry. I just say, God, you're right on time. And it doesn't match my time frame right now. But you are right on time. You know the time. Forgive me for standing in judgment of you. Help me to rest in your mighty hands. I don't understand everything. I praise the God who does. <clears throat> Over our heads and on our faces is what I called this morning's message. If you parent small children, or if you have parented small children, you're well familiar with outbursts. Here's what's amazing. If you're familiar with yourself, you're well familiar with outbursts. Kids throw temper tantrums. They don't have much filter. They just, I don't care where they are. Adults are a lot more subtle, aren't they? Sometimes the outburst is happening inside. It's raging, and it's just a cool stare. Mm-hmm. Outburst. Some of you are yellers and throwers. It's not that hard to figure out when you're having an outburst. Adults are more subtle, a little bit more sophisticated, but outbursts, to be sure. Now, ever have an outburst of amazement? If you want to witness this, here's what you do. I passed it this week. I passed it on Friday, and I thought of my good friend, Gria. 
Get Gria around Scramble's restaurant, right? We just know, outside of evangelizing for Christ and maybe running, he's the biggest evangelist for Scrambles. Without prompting, he will start talking about Scrambles in amazement if it's brought up in conversation, if the logo is shown, or if we're driving past it. I say that because of this. Now, now you're all hungry for Scrambles. Knock it off. Um, I say that because of this. Paul, as he's writing here, there's a sense of Paul just having like this, this outburst of amazement with what he just wrote. He's wading through sort of these, these things that, that, again, through the Holy Spirit, he's being carried along. He's writing down the very thoughts of God, and he gets to this place, and he just stops and just gives praise. An outburst of amazement to God. Again, I... I we don't make a big show of this. We don't try to package this. We don't try to work the people into this every week. But I hope there are moments regularly as you grow up in Christ where you just can't even sing anymore because you just kind of get locked up. Where maybe as you're reading the scriptures, maybe as you're hearing preaching, maybe as you're driving in your car in prayer, you just, you just have to just kind of stop and go, God, you're, you're, you're too amazing. You're too good to me. And that it just overwhelms the senses. This is Paul in our text. He can't make a map of God or categorize all that he is. He highlights these three things, riches and wisdom and knowledge. And then he asks three questions uh, that coincide with this. Let me show you what he does. He, he, he lists those. Then he works backward from those and he asks these questions. Who has known the mind of the Lord? That's showing off the knowledge of God. Who has been his counselor? That's showing off his wisdom. And who has given a gift that, we might be, that he might be repaid? That's his riches. God's ways and his wisdom and his wealth are deep. And it does not take long for us to get to our very tippy toes as we're trying to wade in and understand God to be in over our heads. Gregory the Great in his commentary on Job, is who is typically credited with this quote. I love it. Scripture is like a river, shallow enough here for the lamb to go wading, but deep enough there for an elephant to swim. Now hear me very carefully. If you are a Christian here this morning, or a non-Christian this morning, let me say this. Christians don't worship the Bible. Christians worship the God of the Bible. So why is the scripture so central? Why is it built into our name? Why do we say, bring your scriptures, open your Bible. We're going to read from it every single, every single week. Here's why. Because through the Bible, the character and the will and the purposes of God are most clearly understood. We all have a tendency like sheep to wander away, Right? We get a snippet of truth, and then we fill in the rest of the circle for God. We go, oh, that must mean this, 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 and this. Get back to Scripture. You know why? It will say, yes, you were right here, and then you just went off the rails in your thinking. Don't study it too long, because it just gets dark and depressing, but study some heresies and some cults that have started grounded in Scripture, and then it's, the, it's people just filling in the blanks. It's not hard if you read your Bible just day after day after day for years and years and years to just smell the funk coming off of people as they talk about God and preach. It's not hard. Stay in the scriptures 
and you just go, that feels off. I'm not sure why. I think there's a verse that, yep, there it is. That's totally not true. That is objectively not true. All three of these questions call to mind an absolute God beyond our understanding, and yet, think of the Bass Pro sunset, sunrise. It's the God who came near. Let me show you the deep grace of God built into these very quickly. Who has known the mind of the Lord? The rhetorical answer Paul's getting at is this, no one! And yet, God reveals himself to us, and he knows us intimately, and we can know him intimately. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one, but God has made himself known and lets us know him. Who has been his counselor? Answer, none. And yet, Jesus, at his departure from earth, promised to send God the Spirit, whom he called the helper, or what? Counselor. He will never depart from you. You won't ever be God's counselor, but the grace of God is that he will counsel you in every and any situation. Who's ever given to God? No one. In fact, as we come to God, we understand this great truth. The gospel gives us joy because it's not what we do for God. It's what God has already done for us. He is the one who gives to us always. Listen to what Paul says, preaching elsewhere in Acts 17. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. An immature Christian, and if this is you, we're all maturing here. Look around you. There are no mature Christians. Every person in this room is in some process of maturing. But an immature Christian is ever trying to pay God back. It's something that people refer to as the debtor's ethic. He gave his life for me. The least I could do is give back to him. Do you hear the repayment in that? John Piper says something really fascinating that I love. He says this, Good deeds do not pay back grace. They borrow more grace. You know why he can say that? He reads his Bible. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul, I worked harder than all of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. You do good deeds to pay God back. You're borrowing even more grace to get those good deeds done. Do you see it? So we don't ever get into a position that says we can never pay God back, but we're going to die trying. Man, that is back into a works theology, and we don't understand the immense riches of God. We don't understand... But God gives understanding. We don't advise God, but he gives himself as an ever-present counselor. We can never pay God back. Instead, he lavishes even more riches on us. God is over our heads. And not only do we stand in awe, but we also fall on our faces. Every knee must bow, we just sang. Do you know what that's talking about? 
Let's talk about that. We have a choice right now to willingly bend the knee, bow the knee to the great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's coming a day when he will return in glory. And every knee will bow in honor of Jesus Christ. This morning, we do so willingly. And in just a moment, we're going to sing in response to our great God, who has prompted praise throughout the centuries. And I'm going to invite you to do something to stir up your senses in a different way. I love that you guys took up Ben's challenge to sit in a different spot this morning. I've already talked to some of you. Huge step of faith. I didn't know what to do, but I'm here. Some of you are sitting in a different spot, but you're still in relation to other people you sit near. You're still creatures of habit. Here's here's the point of that. There's There's a few added benefits to that. But you're actually seeing and hearing the service in a different way. You're actually hearing and experiencing it with different family members right now. I'm going to invite you to do something that for some of you will feel very normal and comfortable because you maybe do this in private or elsewhere regularly, but you don't do it here very often. I'm going to invite you in just a moment, for those of you who are physically able to and would do this as an act of worship, to just get on your knees. And as we sing these songs, your posture, your body, will be communicating something that your mind and heart and lips are giving witness to as well. Now, hear me really, really clearly. God isn't any more impressed with me on my face before him as some kind of a show as he is with me politely sitting there stoically in my chair. Neither one are what God is after. What God is after is us. My invitation to you is to stretch yourself a little bit. We know that being on our knees and actually being prostrate, falling on our faces before God as an act of worship to just say, God, I, I'm, I'm down here physically because this is the right spot. We know that that's a biblical stance. And so we just call you and invite you to do that over this next section of songs. There is a powerful reality that Christians have come to understand, and that is this. Listen to this. That there is freedom on our faces. What once might have been thought unthinkable, that submitting to another would be a great thing, becomes a daily reality for us. To come to a God that we can't pay back and won't ever fully understand is a huge cause of celebration because it liberates us from two absolutely crushing burdens, being good and being God. Let me promise you, I don't even know all of you intimately, but let me promise you, you're not not skilled at either one of those over time. Being good and being God, that'll crush you. Let this morning be a liberation of that. I want to read for you two quotes as the music begins, and I want you to just let this sort of steer your thoughts as we move forward. Randy Alcorn writes this, The problem of how to reconcile evil people with a God who hates evil is the greatest problem of history. It calls for the greatest solution ever devised, one so radical as to be nearly unthinkable and to offend the sensibilities of countless people throughout history, the cross. 
Sounds to me like the brother's been reading Romans, by the way. Martin Lloyd-Jones says simply this. The ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. Church, let's worship together as a family this morning at the feet of Jesus. Church, let me just wrap up our time with a few thoughts about what God does and what we do. You can go ahead and grab a seat. It's good to know, and we want to keep this central as we gather, that God just exists. God exists in all of his glory, in all of his essence, in all of his power, in the riches of his knowledge and his wisdom. He just is. That's what God does. Secondly, he reveals what, when, and who as he wills. He doesn't check in with anyone to reveal what he reveals. Now let me show you in response. This necessarily isn't what we should do, but these are the responses to a God who is. Men and women, boys and girls around the world, rebel, ignore, deny, and defy this God who is. Here's a humbling reality, lest you think I'm talking about us and them. Church-going, mid-sanctification Christians do this very same thing. Do you know what we are to do as Christians when we're ignoring God? When we're committing the sin of worry, which is to basically deny that He is who He is? We're to repent and by the power of the Holy Spirit, put that sin to death and walk away from it. We're all in process. That's one thing we do. Number two, we celebrate, we praise, we worship, we take notice of, and we adjust to the God who is. That's a good and glorious thing. This is the process of growing up in Christ. It's called sanctification. And thirdly, we grow in our dependence. The truth is, we also grow in our independence of God sometimes. Those are dark seasons. Becoming our own God, leaning on our own selves. But church, aren't you with me in desiring that we grow in our dependence on God? I think that's why you're here. I think that's why we meet all through the city, all through the week in community groups. I think that's why we open our Bibles. I think that's why we pray. I hope that this morning has been representative of your week. I hope that you've been on your knees before your Savior. I hope that you've both wrestled in your mind and felt in your heart, felt stirring in your emotion, the beautiful grandeur of God. And I hope that this morning isn't just representative of this past week. I pray that this morning is a springboard to your week ahead of you. Of all the people in all the world, the ones who should be thankful every day of the year and not wait for a holiday as Christians. Hands down, we should be the most joyful and the most thankful in all situations. Church, stand up. Grab a hand of someone nearby. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. It's good to be together, isn't it? Grab a hand. If you don't know them, you can introduce yourself 
after I say amen. And let's pray. God, we lift up your holy name. I thank you for this family. I thank you for longtime members, God, who this morning are sitting in a different spot. Praise you for that. I thank you, God, for brand new people who right now, I pray, would sense this is more um, than a group of people coming to learn some truth. God, that you have created one new humanity. You've created one new family, not only out of Jews and Gentiles, God, but out of the have-nots and the haves of this world, out of the so-called beautiful and stunning in the flesh and those who are homely and not noticed. God, I praise you that this morning, bowing at your throne are bosses and employees from the same company. God, in Christ, we are poets and artists and feelers. And God, in Christ, we're doers, we're implementers. We're ones who take truth and are changed by it. We thank you for your grace that is evident in our midst. We commit the group that goes tonight in the name of Jesus Christ as a gift from Neighborhood Bible Church to people who will be in the rain (coughs) and estranged from family God that we would point them to you, that we would be your hands and feet as we serve you on the streets of San Francisco. God, we love you. We praise you for being who you are and for showing us who you are. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Church, you're dismissed.